Hebrews 7 and 25, it says this, Wherefore he, which is God, is able to save them to the uttermost, that they come to God by him through Christ, seeing that he ever liveth to make intercession for them or us. That he, Christ, is able also to save them to the uttermost, that come unto God by him through Christ, seeing that he, is, he liveth to make intercession for them. The word uttermost, panelace, is a word that basically is combining two separate ideas to make one word. Now, if you have a New American Standard Bible, maybe if you have an NIV Bible, if you have an ESV Bible, it'll use the words like completely, fully, things like that. But the good old King James used the word uttermost. And so because most of you are used to reading now, then we're going to explain this. And so... Um, this word uttermost is a combining of two separate ideas to make one word. These two ideas are quality and reach. When you see the word uttermost, it is taking two separate ideas to make one word. Quality and reach, and it's dealing with what? Please say salvation. So when he's dealing with salvation... We, 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 we tend to, to camp on the latter part of this verse saying that, that Jesus is evermore liveth to make intercession for us. And he is. But, but we've, got to, we've got to address the first part. The first part is as important as the second part. So Christ is, is able to save to the uttermost. And this word uttermost, Panelace, is a word for quality and reach. And Paul throws in ideas along the way. He said that I'm confident of this one thing. That if he began a good work in me, he will continue to perform that. He will finish the work that he started. Watch this. Not only is God a great beginner, God's a greater finisher. You're miserable. We're pathetic. We say, let's do it. And we quit three days later. And so what happens is that we liking our abilities and our giftings and what somebody promised us at the altar they did not fulfill, we liken that to be the way God does. But here's the deal. The word uttermost means this. God said, not only will I will save you completely, but I have enough power and strength to save you till I'm fully done. Here's a newsflash. I'll turn 64 in a couple months. I'm tired. I used to work a lot. I don't anymore. I go to work about 6.30 or 7 and I'm done by 2. And I'm done. Well, the, the older we get, the, the less energy we have. Thank you. Some of you barely got enough of that out of you. Amen. God doesn't grow weary. Through thousands and millions of years, God has not depleted anything. And matter of fact, whatever the complexity of our present need right now, spirit, soul, or body, God has all the power to save, satisfy, and secure us with no possibility over time that his divine power, it cannot be diminished. That's uttermost. God does not grow weary. Isaiah 41 says that even though the young men will faint and give out, but they that wait upon the Lord, and the word wait is where we get word for braid. We braid ourselves with the character of God. It's, it's to braid a thread upon a, a rope. 
We braid ourselves upon God. Kava is the word in the Hebrew. And, and, and even though that it's a piece of needle, sewing thread, that a child can break it, but if that sewing thread can be braided around a rope, it, it exchanges strings with the braided rope. And it's no longer you, but now it's you and God. And God cannot, string cannot be broken. Uttermost means quality and reach. What God began to do in the beginning, God has already made plans to complete it in the end. And hear me loud and clear. I don't care what the government is. I don't care what's going on right now. I don't care anything about anything. God has not weakened one ounce. His plans has not been thwarted. Even though the enemy's making all these threats, God is not moved. Psalms chapter four says, he the head says in heaven, he laughs. He laughs at the wicked, Psalms 1 and 4. He does, see. So God is able to save anyone, anytime, anywhere, in any circumstance or condition, and he is not limited to one certain direction. Not everyone will be converted in a church service. I told you when I was about 17, I got saved in Oklahoma City Zoo between the rhinos and the hippos. I got saved. Really? Long story, you know it. So we get this idea that, that in church setting, which we're in church setting, that the way people get saved is this. We have, we have a long sermon. We got that down, okay? And, and the preacher confuses you a lot, and he does. And then, who said, yeah, well, yeah, okay. And, and then what happens is that we have soft music. He reads a poem, and then he says, anybody here? And we go through the motion, and we, and we say, I see that. And so that's the way that between the second and third verse of Just As I Am, that we come down and we say things, repeat things, and maybe some tears are shed. And I understand that. Not making light or fun of that. But Jesus Christ, you understand, never ever did that. If you're not awake, would you wake up? He never said, did anybody believe in me? I see that hand. He never did that. What did he do? He just said, follow me. Imitate me. Mimic me. Do what I do. I wonder how many people in services today will raise their hand and say, I confess to something, but they never follow Christ. They never imitate him. They never mimic him. They just went through the motions of an examination of conscience. Make no mistake about it, in every church service, there are an examination of conscience. There's real tears that are being shed and people are running through the Rolodex of their mind of the, the stupid things they've done this week. Don't do that right now. And when the preacher really puts you in a headlock, you say, okay, I confess, but nothing really changes on the heart. It, the mind is changed until you get out of the parking lot and the, and the lights come on, the music goes back to normal, and you go back to, to Walmart. You, nothing's changed. But when God changes your heart, everything changes. See? The thief on the cross, it, it blows most modern theological seminaries' mind. He never... He never repented, never was baptized. He never gave a list of all the bad things he did. He couldn't raise his hand. He just said, remember me. God is not limited. The only thing that God is limited dealing with your salvation is this. Only through Christ Jesus. He is the way. But he is not limited the way that you can be saved. I'm truly, after being here 35 years, I'm telling you, 
that most decisions that are made are long before they come to the front. A lot of decisions are made where you are. A lot of decisions are made behind the steering wheel of your car when your heart is broken. And that's when you're closest to God. There's, God is not limited to the ways that we in the church have set for him to operate. And so I think a lot of times God just says, I'm leaving that setting and I will go where men and women will truly repent and humble themselves and follow me. And it's a privilege for me to come in a, in a local body who's people who believes that. And I'm glad you believe that. And if you don't believe that, just stay here a little longer and we'll convince you that God is not bound by one certain direction, only the direction to Jesus Christ. But he can bring you and, 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 and he can pull you in, but it's only through Christ. So here was God's design dealing with saving to the uttermost. Here was God's design dealing with sinful man and the salvation was to come. Now this is kind of, I showed this to Jordan and you, you'll probably want to take pictures or write this down. There are 10 names here dealing with Adam and his sons. 10. We're dealing with the plan of salvation. The number 10 in the Bible is the number for divine order and restoration. Eight is the number of circumcision, new beginnings. Nine is the number for maturity. And 10 is the number of divine order or restoration. There's several instances, especially in the New Testament, but to save you a lot of time, 10 times in Genesis 1, the Bible says, God said, Dealing with creation, God said something 10 times and it come to pass. So the number 10 deals with divine order or government. Now watch this. Adam's name means man. This is dealing with salvation. God had a plan. God didn't just show up one day and say, I wonder what we ought to do here, boys. God had a plan. Adam's name means man. Seth, his son, means appointed. Enos, his son, means mortal. Canaan, his son, means sorrow. Mahalil, his son, means the blessed God. Jared, his son, it means shall come down. Enoch, his son, was named preaching. His son's name was Methuselah. His death shall bring. Lamech, his son, meant the despairing. And his son, lastly, was named Noah. God named these 10 men according to chronological order, according to sons begotting sons, because he's about to establish a divine order for salvation. And you put these names together and this is what it says. That man is appointed mortal sorrow, but the blessed God shall come down preaching and his death shall bring the despairing rest. Do you understand what I just told you? That God had a plan of redemption long before Jesus Christ ever hit planet earth? That God set in motion because of the act of disobedience of Adam and Eve in the garden, but God said, I will not let it rest there, that I will man as appointed mortal sorrow, which he did, but the blessed God which I am shall come down, which is Jesus Christ, preaching, and his death shall bring the despairing rest. 
Now keep in mind, it took a few thousand years, but how many knows that God said what I promised in the Old Testament that I had the power to bring it to pass in the New Testament? Wow. That's why Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 says, looking unto Jesus, a forio, who is the author, the architect, the finisher of our faith. He didn't say you did it. He didn't say, oh, I hope Ardell gets this right. This is what he said in English. Ardell, if you touch it, you'll mess it up. So I got it. You just stand still. You just be still. And I'll begin the work in you. And I know you're busting at the seams to do something, but don't do it. I'll do the work in you and I'll finish the work of grace in your life. Because I had the strength and power not only to begin a work, his word architect, draw it out, but I had the ability and the power to bring it to pass. The 30 minute silence in heaven is basically this, when you realize that it, it never was about you. It was all God in his glory. As a matter of fact, I wrote here that God has always had a plan, but he's always had the power to fulfill that plan. So when the Apostle Paul talks about that God has the ability to save to the uttermost, the Apostle Paul is very aware of these 10 names that were said in divine order at the very beginning that God promised that even though that man is appointed sorrow, but the day will come that the blessed one of God, which is Christ, shall come down preaching and at his death that it will give the despairing, which is you and I, rest. It takes an awesome God and a powerful God to bring that to pass. Would you agree? God doesn't get tired. He doesn't get weary. I, th I think sometimes he, he gets wore out working on you, but he doesn't get tired or weary. So this is the, this is the scripture this morning. It's found in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. This is a faithful saying. And it's worthy of all expectations that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Can we agree to that? Can we accept this one thing that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners? Aren't you glad he did? I am. And if you're not saved this morning, well, the good news is you can be saved today by the Holy Spirit. But let us accept this saying. It's faithful and it's true. And it's worth repeating and it's worth keeping that Jesus Christ came to save sinners, watch this, of whom I am chief. Now, if you don't know what this verse means, I'm only going to say it one time. So you may want to write it down because don't call me up church and say, would you say that again? I said, I will not. Why? Because I'm tired. So why did the Apostle Paul say the word that I am chief of all sinners? So first of all, I ask about four questions. Was the Apostle Paul the poster child of death and decay? He's making the statement here. And he said, Christ Jesus, it's a faithful saying, and let us, with, with acceptance, let us say it with the conviction of knowing this is why Christ came into the world, to save to the uttermost, but, but, but of all the sinners, I'm chief. Was Apostle Paul the poster child of death and decay? Was he the father of all failures? Was he the mastermind of the mistakes for mankind? 
And did he personally set the record for the most sins? No, Jeremy Resendez has, but Paul's second. Okay. And the answer is no, no, no. And then somebody say, well, can you prove it? Well, you know I can. Listen to Paul's own autobiography that he writes. Watch this. I was blameless concerning the law. You know my pedigree, a legitimate birth, circumcised on the eighth day, an Israelite from the elite tribe of Benjamin, a strict and devout adherent to God's law, a fiery defender of the purity of my religion, and even to the point of persecuting the church. Boy, he did. A meticulous observer of everything that was set down in God's law book. Does that sound like a guy that didn't keep the law of God? Does that sound like a guy that was not keeping the law of God? He said, I was meticulous in that. I kept it. Number two. Paul said, I believe that everything that was written by the prophets and, and in that, in that the Sanhedrins did not. The Sanhedrins, excuse me, the Sadducees did not. They, they only believed in the first five books and Moses was the prophet. After that, the, the Sadducees did not believe in any angelic beings. They didn't believe any prophets after Moses. They didn't believe any spiritual resurrection. And that's where the Pharisees and the Sadducees would get in arguments in Christ's time. He'd say something and they would fight among themselves and he'd go off and leave them fighting. So that's why that he would say this. So Paul said this, I was blameless. But when I confess to you that according to the way that which they call a sect, so I worship the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets. So he's telling you the law of the Pharisees, which he was, the Sadducees did not believe any other prophets outside of Moses. But he said, I believed everything that the prophets said in the Old Testament. Don't sound like a sinner to me. I mean, if we were grading people in the church and here today. I mean, the first one said, well, I do everything. I tithe, I give, I support, I do this, I'm kind, I'm generous, I do this, I do that. I know a few memory verses. You got it, buddy, you're in. I even give the Mormons and the Jehovah Witnesses a hard time. Well, you're really in. No. And the last one, he said, from my youth, that I've been an example of moral uprightness. And you have known me and you can testify of my straightness as a Pharisee. Acts this is 26, I believe, four through six. The Jewish people, they all knew the way that I've lived ever since I was a child. And from the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem, they have known me for a long time and can testify, if they are willing, that I've conformed to the strictest sect of our religion, which is the Pharisees. And now it's because of my hope, which God has promised our ancestors that I am on trial today. He said, I have kept Everything I have, I have been the strictest and the most meticulous of everything unto the sect of the Pharisaical teaching. So when he says that I'm a chief of all sinners, we don't pick up anything on that because he said, I've kept them all. I did everything I was told. I kept every rule. I kept everything. It's possible for you to be raised in church and keep all the laws and doctrine and still be lost. There's a difference between knowing about Jesus and knowing him. 
So some of you that you can fall suit in this, well, I'm, I must be in because I've kept the law, I kept the denomination and blah, 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 and did this. And I, I can't say this because this will get out, but somebody sent me a post that day and it was so funny, but I can't say it. So never mind, I shouldn't even brought it out. But they say the dumbest things. But anyway, I told Gail, I said, I don't even want to respond to this. And, and it was funny, but I don't want to respond to it. But it, it's talking about their growth in God. Their growth in God, you know. And, uh, but anyway, I don't want to say it because they'll listen to it. So Paul was blameless as far as the religious man could see. He was perfect. He knew the law inside and out and he kept it. So by these scriptures, we, we need to paint the idea that, that Paul was not the chief of all sinners, like he was the biggest sinner on the planet. In Paul's own words, describing himself, he was dedicated, he was disciplined, he was determined, and he was a well-oiled religious machine. And he was. So let's go back and look at the first word called chief. He was, I was the chief of all sinners. Didn't say the, the worst, the most rowdiest. He just used the word chief of all sinners. It's a Greek word called protos, and it means to be first in rank and order. Protos. Paul was not saying that he was the first sinner on the planet. Neither was he saying that he was the first sinner to be saved. Chief is regard to not when he got converted, but chief has everything to do how he got converted. Now, this is weird. This is why I'm going slow with you, because I want you to get this. That God is not limited to your salvation through any one direction. God can say to the uttermost, anytime, anywhere, anyhow, and I'm going to tell you straight up, if you're visiting this morning, I'm going to tell you straight up, we have water baptisms here, but I stand and I combat any church that will bring in anyone and make them repeat a few lines and demand they get baptized in their baptistry to be saved. That is not the gospel. That is another gospel. If you want to be baptized, I'm good to go with you. I'll explain with you what's going on here. It is not for the remission of sin, but it's the answer to a good conscience as Noah's enemies was washed away in the flood. So the water will wash away your opponents. But I'm telling you, it's personal to me because not too long ago, somebody in my family went to a church, went to Falls Creek, and they demanded he get baptized in their baptistry. I'm glad for the boy, but I'm telling you what, anytime you put those rules on people, you are taking the place of what Jesus did on the cross, period. Period. If water baptism was that important, God should have sent a sprinkler instead of a sun. I hope some of you, I hope we can fry an egg on your head. You're so mad. <laughs> he said, I'm the chief of sinners. It means... You're missing the point here. It's not the fact how, when he got converted, it's how he got converted. Did you know that Paul never repented? And we know it's Saul. So don't write me an email and say, well, he got it mixed up. I'm just trying to talk to you. Paul or Saul never repented because of the preaching of the scriptures. 
Now, let's, let's, let's time out a minute. Don't make me go back and read that he knew all the scriptures inside and out, and he kept them blamelessly. He knew them all. And a man knowing him all still was in rebellion against God. He said, I knew them all. I kept them all. I observed them all. I gave counseling lessons to all the, 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 the apprentices that were working under me in, in the Pharisees. But yet, did you know that the Apostle Paul or Saul never repented because of the preaching of the scriptures? Now today on television, I know what they say. But it's always 3 a.m. and you're delirious 3 a.m. Just go back to bed. You'll, you'll believe anything at 3 a.m. They say, all you got to do is just hear it. That's not true. Now, the Bible says faith come by hearing, but it's, 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 it's an infinity number in the Greek. Faith come by hearing and 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 hearing the word of God. But here's the deal. I understand everything I just told you, Rome 10, 17. But here's the deal. Watch this. Do you know what person you'll believe more than anybody? Is this microphone on? Are you in the right church? Am I in the right place here? I know there's a lot of people gone. Do you know what person you'll believe more than anybody? Yourself. Yourself. And something wonderful happens to you when you start getting the word of God in you and you start repeating that to yourself. See, power and authority in God's word never comes in my life because I heard somebody say it. That's a parrot preacher. I mean, that, that doesn't work. You're just saying something you heard. That's information. That's not revelation. When you really begin to read God's word, and I don't mean just like a one-time deal. You know how this goes. If, you're, if you can't sleep at night, you don't have to take like Psalm and X. Just get you a Bible and start reading the genealogy in the Old Testament. You'll go to sleep in like a minute. The Lord will give you a dream. I know. You believe yourself more than anybody. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The more you begin to absorb, watch this, the word of God, and the more you begin to speak it, it becomes part of your nature. And you begin to hear yourself say things like, wow, I didn't know you could, you knew that. You ever talked to somebody and you said something like it shocked you? Where'd that come from? It made sense. What happens is, I'm telling you this morning, the Apostle Paul knew all the scriptures, but yet he never was converted because he knew all the scriptures. Knowing all the scriptures in the Bible will not save you. Number two, the Apostle Paul was never, he never repented because he saw signs and miracles performed by all the disciples. And he saw them. And I know what you're saying. It's almost 11 o'clock. I know what you're saying. Boy, if we, could just get, if we could just get a miracle man in here and have some signs and wonders, we could have people saved. That's not even biblical. The Apostle Paul saw a multitude of signs and wonders, and he had all the canons and the scriptures in him, but yet he did not repent. He still kept on killing the Jews. So what I'm telling you is, you may say, Oh, it's the boy church. 
All he does is want to teach biblical principles and we don't see balloons coming down and signs of miracles and legs lengthening and his arms shortening. That's right. You finally got it after 35 years. You're right. What do we do? We preach the gospel of Christ Jesus. And it may seem boring to you, but, it, but I'm telling you, it's the only power that we have that will bring us from life to eternity. And the third one is not even watching the church work and worship in unity while living under extreme persecution, especially by he himself. Now, just let those three things set in. We're not going to give an altar call because we don't. But the, the Apostle Paul's telling you that I'm the chief of all sinners. It's not, it's not when I got saved, it's how I got saved. I never got saved because, by the scriptures because I knew them all. I never gave my life to God by watching signs and wonders or miracles because I, I saw them in the streets in Jerusalem by the disciples. And of all the people that I harassed and even murdered, I still watched the Jews sing the Psalms of Psalms in unity and in harmony, and they never gave up. It never moved him. So here's the answer. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 8 says this, dealing with himself. And last of all, that he, Jesus, was seen of me also as one born out of due time. He's going through this list of the people that saw Jesus in his resurrection and he gets to the last part and he said, and last of all, he saved the best for last. He saw me also as one born out of due time. Paul, Paul, as we know, has this encounter with Christ. The word born out of due time is called ectromo. Ek is out or a result from, and trauma is where we get a medical term for trauma. The Apostle Paul said, I saw Christ after his resurrection, but it was because of a traumatic experience. Something very traumatic. It wasn't a quiet church service where someone whispered in my ear. It, it wasn't in a setting on the back porch and I was reading the scriptures and something convinced me to give my life to God. It wasn't that. Matter of fact, this word, ectrauma, is where we get a word for an abortion, almost. The fetus is shoved out of the womb by force. Something traumatic happened. A premature birth because of a traumatic experience, a car wreck, an injury. And he said, I was an apostle that was born out of due time. I saw Jesus, but it wasn't the normal way that most people see Jesus. Something traumatic happened to me. Something happened to me that was so great that it shocked me. It was so traumatic in this experience, but it changed my life forever. So Paul was converted by God himself that appeared to him in a fashion unlike any other man. We know in Acts that Jesus physically appeared to Saul Tarsus. 
We know that. Can we say we know that? Can we smile and say we know that? Acts chapter 9. And you're going to go, well, what's the big stinking deal about that? Well, I'm glad you asked that. The Apostle Paul said, everyone else around me, when they heard the scripture, they got saved, I guess. When someone saw a sign and miracle, that's what everybody wants today. They want to see signs and miracles, but it never moved Paul. We want to be a part of church that works together and get along together, even the hardships. And, and that's a great community service, but that never has the power to change a man. The Apostle Paul is listing all three things, what I just listed. He said, none of these had the power to convert me until one day I was on my way to persecute the church again. And he said, I was good at it. You remember? God told Ananias to go pray for him. Remember? You know what Ananias said? I ain't going nowhere around him. I ain't going. Uh-uh, not me. No way, Jose. Uh-uh, I ain't going. And God said, you better go. So he went. But besides that, so he was so feared. Saul was so, was so hated by the Jews. So here's the idea this morning. We're going to quit. He said, dealing with, he said, I was an apostle born out of due time. I saw Jesus, but it wasn't the way that everybody saw him. And you remember the question come up and I'm not going to answer it because you'll stomp out of here. Is there apostles still today? They're, they're all over television. You're going to stomp out of here. But there were two requirements for apostles in chapter one. You had to be an eyewitness of his baptism and you had to be an eyewitness of his resurrection. Okay? That was the foundations for them. Now, I'm going to clarify some of this before some of you get spooked. I believe that the Holy Spirit makes all things real because the Holy Spirit is not limited to time or space. So I wasn't there when he rose from the dead, but I believe he rose from the dead. Why? Because the Spirit of God makes it real in my life. It was like I was there. The Holy Spirit was there. And so even dealing with apostleships, we're not going to get off into that because somebody asked a question, but I will tell you that the apostle Paul, what happened was that he was on his way to Jerusalem to, to persecute, destroy, incarcerate, and even kill devout Jews. And God put the brakes on this well-oiled machine. And in the sand, he just left tracks. And the heavens opened up in Acts chapter 9. And the Shekinah glory came out in the voice that said this, Saul, Saul, why have you persecuted me? Why are you kicking against the pricks? You see, Paul was to be the pattern for the nation of Israel as a whole concerning their conversion to Christ. Leave that up for a moment. When he said that I was born out of due time, the apostle Paul was to be the pattern concerning the nation of Israel because he was a Jew. He was to be the pattern for the nation of Israel in the end times that would be converted to Christ. Now, I know some of you that are smarter than I am going to say, well, there's Jews for Christ everywhere. I know that, and that chimp in Frank Buck Zoo knows that. But I'm talking about the nation of a whole. They are still praying to a wailing wall. 
And what the apostle Paul is telling us and telling you this morning, when he deals with the chief of all sinners, he's not talking about the worst of it, the first one to be saved. He's telling you that I am the protos. I am the pattern. An apostle that was born out of due time. And I'm the pattern for which the nation of Israel will be converted to Christ. Zechariah 14 and 4. This is the Christ's second advent. And his feet shall stand in the day upon the Mount Olives, which is before Jerusalem, and on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof towards the east and towards the west, and there shall be a great valley, and half of the mountains shall be removed to the north and half of it to the south. When Christ comes again, Zechariah said, he will stand up on the Mount Olivet and the thing will split. Zechariah 12 and 10, the second advent. And I will pour up on the house of David and the house that happens in Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and supplications, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. Who? The Jews. And they shall mourn for him as they have mourned for his only son. And they shall be in bitterness for him as one is in bitterness for his own firstborn. Who is it? The Jews. Israel. Israel is not believing the grace message today. They're not buying it. It's been withheld from them. And the last one is Zechariah 13 verse 1. And in that day, what day? The day of his second coming, when his feet shall stand upon the Mount of Olives and the things shall split and every eye will see him, the Jews will see him. And on that day, there shall be a fountain open to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and uncleanness. This is the moment when the Jew says, we believe that Jesus is the Son of God and coming out of heaven and splitting them out of all of us helps a lot. <laughs> There's an old song said, there is a fountain filled with blood that flows out of Emmanuel's vein. And sinners plunge beneath that flood and they... <sighs> They lose all their guilty stains. The dying thief was glad to see the fountain flowing in his day. The apostle Paul said that I am the chief of all sinners. I'm first of my kind. I'm the pattern and the prototype of something that is will happen in the near future. It's weird, but let me explain it to you that my conversion never come through the preaching of the gospel. My conversion never came because I knew the scriptures. My conversion never came because I saw signs and wonders and my conversion never came. The church could work together. My conversion never came like that and neither will it be Israel. My conversion happened when I was born out of due time. Ex trauma, something, the heavens opened and I saw the glory of God came down 
And it so blinded me, it so drove me to my knees that it changed me forever. And he said, this is what it's gonna take for the nation of Israel to repent is God once again is gonna to have to come down and bust the heavens open and split the mountains and stand before Israel and say, now then do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? And they say, we believe. When the fullness of the Gentiles is complete, and God will deal with the Jewish nation through great struggles and tribulations at his second advent. Then the Jews, they will see him, they will hear him, and they will repent to him. Just as Paul did. So whatever it takes for God to save the sinner, that God is able to save whomever, wherever, whenever and however even to the uttermost I wish I could tell you this morning that then when you deal with scriptures like this it's very simple kind of when you understand them but we as we as Gentiles and We've been set aside this period called the dispensation of grace and, and the Holy Spirit moves upon us and wonderful things happen and we hear the gospel and see things and it causes our heart to gravitate that way. But I will tell you that, that not all people will be saved the way you got saved. Some of you got saved probably in, in, a, in a bar room on a bar stool, something happened. I told you a long time ago, I don't, I don't like to talk about it, but at school, they pass out those little New Testaments, among you leaf papers. I take them home. We roll joints with them, smoke them in the backyard. <laughs> really, onion leaf papers. And I know I said one time, I got the word in me, but that's not the way to get it in you. I know. <laughs> but while doing that, going in the backyard at 19 and 20 years old with a, a live party going inside my house, I would weep and bawl and cry. Because God had his hand on me. God was changing my life in a way that he probably never would change your life. But whatever it takes and however it takes and whenever it takes and whatever method God wants to use, God is not limited just to one setting and one direction. And especially dealing with the Jews, Paul said, I am this apostle that is born out of due time. And because it was such of a traumatic experience, but it changed my life forever. I don't have to guess about it. I don't have to second guess God about it. I saw him, I heard him, I felt him. He moved into my life. And the day will come when the nation of Israel at the second advent of Christ, whenever that time comes, that he will come and he will put his feet upon the Mount of Olives and the things shall open up and the heavens shall bust wide open. And the Jews will look at Jesus and they'll mourn for him as they mourn the loss of their own son. And they'll be in great bitterness as they've lost their own firstborn. And that is a sign and that scripture is dealing with a heart of repentance. A heart of repentance. In Zechariah 13, 1 it said, and at that moment that the fountain of God shall be poured upon the inhabitants of David, meaning the Jews, and God will wash away all their sins. God is able to save to the uttermost.
I got loved ones and so do you this morning that I wish they'd come in here and make a commitment to Christ, but they're not. But I'm so confident in God that He knows how to save them. I'm so confident in God that no matter what they may be doing right now, God said these two words, they're separate in connection, but I had the quality and the power to save them and I had the reach to save them. I may not reach them the way you want me to, but I'm telling you, I can reach them. And you know what? Gail and I, we can go to bed at night and we can sleep because we trust God. Some of you are walking the floors tonight and you got ulcers. I'm gonna tell you right now, you need to stop that. You're playing God and you're not God. There's two things for sure, there's a God and you're not Him. Let it go. Pray for them, love them, repeat the Word of God over their life, speak blessings over them, get it in your system, but trust God. You may not see it in your lifetime. He told Abraham, I'm gonna do this. He said, can you count the, the sands of the, of the ground? He said, no, that's Ishmael. And he said, can you count the stars of the heaven? He said, no, well, that's Isaac. But he said, I will bless them. And he did, Ishmael and Isaac, he did bless them. But Abraham never saw it, he died. But just because he didn't get to see it doesn't mean that God thwarted his promises. He brought them to pass. So this morning, God is able to save to the uttermost. I guess that's what I need to tell you. He's got it. And I'm gonna trust him with it. Agreed? You're a good bunch. I appreciate you being here. Father, this morning, we thank you for the presence of God and the peace of God and everything that you're doing in our hearts and our lives. Thank you for that. And sometimes we make the tragic mistakes of evaluating you by the result of what our world is doing. For some reason that we think that if the church is not ramped up and motivated that you become impotent and, and powerless. But we repent. I want that thought to be removed. Your power can never be diminished over time or space. The same God that established these 10 names in divine order dealing with our salvation is the same God that will bring restoration at the second advent of his son. You will bring salvation to the Jews. You will give them rest. So if you're here this morning and, and for the next 30 seconds, you know a lot of scripture, but You've seen signs and wonders and miracles and you've watched the church get along and work together, but you really don't know Jesus. I understand. Paul understood that. But I pray this morning by the Holy Spirit that something will happen to you today that will divinely pull the cords of your heart and move you closer to Him. That you will know whom you have believed and you're able and persuaded that he will keep that, those things that you've committed unto him against that day. God's power and God's authority, God's saving grace has never diminished in thousands of years. He will bring it to pass. Father, we just speak blessings over our children. I speak blessings over our grandchildren.
those that are near to us, those that are dear to us, those that are seemingly going in opposite directions. They're the prodigals without boundaries. But God, they really belong to you. And none of them has escaped your sight or your reach. So I'm going to do what I can do, and I'm going to allow you to do what only you can do is keep that promise you've made to us concerning their lives. And so now all we have to do when we come here on a regular basis is to honor you and worship you and just tell you that we love you and we're thankful for what you're doing even though we can't see what you're doing. Thank you for that. Thank you for saving to the uttermost in Jesus' name. And all the people of God said amen. You believe that? Stand and give the Lord a praise offering if you would, please. Huh? Amen. Class is over. Yes. Communion service, if you'll make your way this way. I'll tell you one thing. When I got saved, I probably was heading really the wrong direction. But when I got saved that morning, I didn't have to have somebody take me off the back to tell me what happened. I knew something happened. I didn't have to have somebody, an usher, whisk me off to the back room. and I didn't have to have that. I knew my life was changed. Something traumatic happened to me. Get and I, we still laugh about it. We both made a commitment to Christ the same day. We went back to work. We called one on Monday and said, aren't these people weird? The same people we used to laugh and gouge with and go along with and cut up. Now then, they're, it's almost like they're from another planet. Well, they are. We got born again. It was a traumatic experience. It was so traumatic that it changed our life forever. And I'm not the same. And I've never been the same. He opened up the heavens. He revealed himself to me. He spoke things to me that are eternal. And they've never diminished and they've never left me. And I'm asking God to do you the same way. Jesus said with his disciples that night, he took these two sacred elements and the cup and the bread. We celebrate Holy Communion here, if this is your first time, every week. It's, it's the last things we've been told to do. The thief on the cross said, would you just please remember me? And Jesus said, taking the bread and cup, remember me. He said, for 4,000 years, you've been celebrating this today. So he took the bread, he lifted it up and he said, my father, poured manna, the bread, upon the earth, and your fathers did eat of it, but they hungered again. But John 6 says, if any man eat of me, he shall never hunger again. He took the cup and he lifted up and he said in the first Passover, Moses took the blood of the lamb and placed it in the shape of a cross that when the death angel would come, he would pass over that home. Jesus said, I am the lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world now. And my Father will take my blood in the shape of a cross that man's sins shall be forgiven once again. And as often as you take of this bread and as often as you drink of this cup, do it and remember what I've done for you.
Father, bless this cup and bless this bread. And we give you thanks in Christ's name. Amen.